This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And we are back. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Matt Caraccio, and as always, joining me is Mr. Paul Pertichese. Paul, welcome. Matt, so excited to be back on air. I think it's been almost two months since you and I did a show together. I know here at Saturday Sunday, we've been just pumping out content with you know your series that you do every year, the summer, se- the summer seminar series. I did the Dynasty Stock Report series. So we've been wire to wire with different types of content here, but they were a little bit individual, me doing those you do in your session so it is great to be back on the air with you so much to talk about i don't even know where to begin well i mean i first of all if you have not had a chance to check out the dynasty stock reports paul did an excellent job really breaking it down conference by conference giving you an inside track on really what to expect from some of the top players in each of their respective teams as well as in their respective conferences and divisions so that way you can kind of take that knowledge and parlay it into making some savvy moves in your drafts this upcoming season. And of course, the summer seminar series, which I just finished concluding, we had Mr. Ross Cooper talking about the one and only Stefan Gilmore and just discussing how these movement marvels of Saturdays and Sundays really give us a better understanding, hopefully, of those players that we enjoy and how we can kind of maybe take that understanding and apply it to our own analysis this upcoming season. And Paul, this upcoming season, we knew it was in question to begin with. It seems like nothing really has cleared up as we enter into this kind of off-season, pre-season type of mentality. It seems like we're still in a state of disarray. Yeah, I mean, so much has taken place since we last talked. I mean, we know for a fact the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are two the two of the the Power Five conferences that have postponed their season. You know, there's some talk that they might try to pull it off in the spring. I think that's a logistical nightmare. I know Urban Meyer came out and said he just doesn't see how that's feasible. Then today, I think it was Albert Breer had a report that they're trying to potentially put a winter season in play I don't know exactly when that would start and if they were able to pull that off the NFL would maybe consider moving back the combine moving back the draft so maybe you know these collegiate athletes would choose to play so I don't know much more to logistics on that and then you got the SEC and you know the ACC with Notre Dame you know and then the Big 12 still saying that they want to try to play football and you know, rearranging schedules and mostly making it conference only and starting a couple of weeks later, you know, so right now we know two power fives and a lot of, you know, the, the smaller D one conferences have postponed their season. We know the other three power fives are still trudging along, trying to find a way to salvage the season. I think it's impossible to know right now when or if there will be a college football season i think here you know recording this on august you know 13th i still think it's very much up in the air in terms of when or if there will be a college football season this year yeah and that impossibility of of even knowing what's going to happen is i think the reason why we've chosen to kind of attack this series this upcoming series on our positional previews maybe a little bit differently 
And I'm going to go ahead and kind of break this down because here at Saturday, Sunday, you guys know that we kind of pride ourselves of getting right to it, getting right to the meat and potatoes very quickly in our shows. But I think that the the framework of what's going on outside of this show is really important because it in many ways will shape this show moving forward into the college football season should it commence on time for some uh, conferences or not. So with all the impossibilities swirling, our decision at the Saturday Sunday football podcast is we're going to go through our positional preview shows, but we know here that a lot of these players are probably going to be the subject of much debate and much analysis, even moving into the season itself. Some players may not put up any more film from here on out. Players may not even begin to see the field. Okay. So the very next time we might see them is on draft day. So, what we want to do in our positional preview shows this August is we really want to give you a thumbnail sketch of all the players at the respective position. And then as we go through the actual season, we're going to have plenty of time to unpack them even further. Now it's no secret. Okay. I've talked to Paul, obviously the world around us is constantly changing. And for me personally, This has been a season where I'm taking a step back and doing much of my analysis, maybe possibly during the fall itself. So much of my analysis is going to come a little bit later. This is really Paul's analysis right now. Um, He's had the opportunity to watch a lot of these players and give his thoughts. Obviously, these are players that I've seen over time. So I'm going to be giving him and we're going to be having a dialogue about a lot of these players, a thumbnail sketch of who they are, what they offer, and then A lot of my thoughts and insights and my film analysis will unpack a little bit as we go into the fall, just to kind of, again, start tearing that talent, thinking about the draft in the future, and hopefully finding a way to make some sense of this chaos that we're currently in in this world. So, Paul, before we start getting into these players tonight, we're going to talk about the quarterback position. Are there any any lingering, any thoughts on this upcoming season and what we're doing here at Saturday to Sunday to kind of, kind of kind of navigate these uncharted waters of football uh america yeah i mean listen like like you laid out like the season is going to be different even if they're even if somehow some of those conferences still play we're talking we're going to be talking about a much smaller slate of games you know and a much smaller slate of prospects and then we haven't even you know, some prospects haven't even decided whether they may play. Like, you know, before the Big Ten even canceled their season, I mean, you know, there was a handful of really big-time players, you know, a couple star-wide receivers, you know, who who decided to opt out. So who's to say, you know, we don't get a lot more of that if some season, if some conferences continue to proceed, you know, with their plans to play. So we're still going to have our weekly shows there's still going to be an NFL rookie report provided that, you know, there is an NFL season where we check back in on the rookies and it's possible that the NFL rookie report is a little bit more of an extended look. Maybe we look at some second year guys, you know, maybe we break down a little bit more of what those guys that we just talked so much about and see how their transition is going. If there is no college football season, but the other aspect is if there is no college football season for September, October, November, we will probably use that time to dig deeper into the prospect. So rather than going full throttle right now through every guy and trying to kind of squeeze in talking about every prospect, we're going to give more of an overview of guys 
And then if there is no planned college football season for the first couple months of what would have been the college football season, we'll spend each episode going over four or five quarter prospects to start the quarterbacks. And over a couple of weeks, we'll dig deep into I've watched 18 quarterback prospects, you know, right now. So those are the guys that are in the scout, going to be in the scouting notebook, going to be ranked on the rankings notebook, you know, so maybe over the course of the first, you know, three or four weeks of what would have been the college football season, we would go through those quarterbacks and then we'll go through the running backs. And that's kind of how we'll go this year. If there is no college football season, again, if, if it does look like there is, then we'll adjust a little bit on the fly and we'll get a better feel for that you know, prior to, you know, mid, mid to late September, I think it's at the absolute earliest that, that football would start if it gets there. Yeah. And that's where I'm hoping that some of the intrigue might be coming back to us. As you kind of listen to future shows, you'll be able to hear a dialogue where, you know, my thoughts may differ from Paul as I begin to watch these guys more frequently and more conservatively. So it could offer some really interesting conversation that may be very different than what we're having now. So today, These positional preview shows, again, are an overview, a thumbnail sketch, and then the shows into the season will be that time for us to really dig deeper. Matt, what did you think about this player? Does it differ for me? How are you feeling, Paul? What has changed? Those are the conversations we'll be having throughout the season, and we'll do it on a smaller batch of players. So, Paul... Without further ado, let's get in, kind of get into the quarterback position. And I'm going to start right up at top. I'm going to talk about the Utah quarterback. He's a redshirt senior, six foot four, 220 pounds. And last year, he was an injury ridden season. So his statistics were really kind of non existent. But in 2018, he passed for 3,171 yards, good for a 61.9 completion percentage, 27 TDs to just 14 interceptions. I'm talking about Jake Bentley, Paul. So Jake Bentley, I mean, we, Jake Bentley, this is not our first rodeo with Jake Bentley. And I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure watching him, I'm sure you guys can uh, all know a little bit about Jake Bentley. But Paul has really much changed in terms of our understanding of Jake Bentley, who he was, what he is now, and where he will go. No, not much at all. I think, you know, there are some aspects of his game that we always liked, his ability to make NFL throws, his size, his frame, his toughness, his experience. But he hasn't really showed a lot of growth and development. The injury didn't help. I was very excited to kind of see him in a new environment there at Utah. And now, you know, that's kind of put on hold. And whether or not we ever get to see him, you know, you know, play for Utah, I think is, is debatable, you know, to me right now, he's got, he has, he would have had to have a big year to be a more draftable prospect. I think we're talking about a late day three UDFA guy, third stringer upside to develop into maybe a backup. I think a pro style offense with a lot of play action and vertical based concepts or spread offense with some RPOs in there, I think is where he kind of fits. Uh, But I don't think a lot has changed a couple years ago, like when Brian Edwards first exploded onto the scene, I, I saw glimpses of a quarterback that I thought was going to yes. develop maybe into yep. a top 100 pick, and he never really got there. Always kind of, you know, some decision-making issues, some consistency issues. Uh, so I think they're still there for Bentley. Well, and you know what? And I'm just going to kind of ask you or tease you out a little bit more on some of those notes because, I mean, you know, Jake Bentley, like we talked about, you talked about his inconsistency, but you also, I mean, for many might not even realize this, but he was actually age-wise a junior when he actually entered 
the collegiate ranks as a quarterback. So very much like some of you might be familiar with JT Daniels when he went out and played for USC. He was technically in his senior year of high school playing at USC. So he was age-wise extremely young. Same thing was true for Jake Bentley. That's how advanced he was, precocious he was for the position. Paul, you talked about ability to make NFL throws and you talk about what you know his ability to make NFL throws are there, but we talk about that inconsistency. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us as we kind of head into the next player? Yeah, I mean, I just think I just think when you watch him play, you can w- turn on one game and you can see him being accurate, throwing the ball vertically down the field or into tight windows. And then you turn on another film and all of a sudden he can't really make those throws. So and then sometimes even in the middle of a game, he'll make a big time throw and then another opportunity, you know, uh, uh, comes on later in the game, you know, on another driver, another series, and he can't make that throw when he needs to. So I just think there's a lot of up and down and a lot in terms of, you know, while he has the arm talent to make any NFL throw, I feel like the his vertical accuracy is very scattershot in terms of sometimes he can and then sometimes there are accuracy issues there. And you know what? This kind of leads us really right into the next quarterback. We're talking about the Notre Dame senior, six foot, 212 pounds. Last year, he had 3,034 yards, good for a 60.2 completion respect percentage, 34 touchdowns to just six interceptions. But he did rush for 546 yards and four touchdowns. We're talking about Ian Book, who is a player that in many ways, Paul, I mean, I'm not saying they're the same player, but in many ways, let's say, the type of developmental prospect that maybe is Jake Bentley could also be Ian book for some teams. Am I ridiculous when I say that? Yeah, no, not at all. I think you're spot on. I wrote down here to me, very similar. He's a third string quarterback type, but upside develop into a backup. I thought a lot of his game reminded me of Colt McCoy, who was a very successful college quarterback. And Ian Book's been a very successful college quarterback. I mean, look at those stat lines, 34 touchdowns to six interceptions, another 500 plus rushing yards and four more touchdowns. I mean, to me, at the NFL level, he'd have to be in an offense, a spread type offense or a West Coast timing base, attacking the short to intermediate parts of the field, use some RPO concepts to use his athleticism. But to me, he is... He's a guy who can steady an offense as, you know, if you don't ask him to do too much. So I, I, I see a Colt McCoy type player, like, you know, kind of maybe what Case Keenum has morphed into now at the NFL level as a just a solid backup quarterback. To me, Book's best traits are his athleticism, his mobility, ability to throw on the run or playoff structure, whatever you want to call it, his pocket movement. Uh, but the other stuff is basically either average or developmental areas. I still haven't seen him go through progressions consistently, handling pressure, inconsistent pushing the ball vertically down the field or into tight windows. So to me, if he, if he attacks in that short to intermediate parts of the field, I think he can be successful. So, you know, a team that does a lot of West Coast at the NFL level and really does get it out quickly and attacks that short intermediate, I think he could be a serviceable backup maybe down the line. But to me, he's not going to have a lot of draft capital. He's going to be a late day three guy that would have to work his way into maybe being a backup. Yeah, and I actually have very similar feelings from my viewings of him this past year. I mean, I thought very much that, you know, production wise, it was outstanding. But in terms of you know, really kind of being consistent throughout his, you know, throughout everything he was doing in terms of, 
you know, reading the field and things of that nature. Obviously, I think there's a lot of room to work there. But I mean, that that mobility you talked about, his movement in the pocket, his ability to play off structure, all those ideas. I mean, he has a great sensitivity, I thought, to just handling tight spaces as a quarterback. And we know that quarterbacks live in tight spaces when it comes to the pocket, but he he certainly didn't shy away from kind of creating in space. So as we move on to the next player, I'm not going to lie to you, Paul, my, my heart drops a little bit because this was a player that I had very high expectations for coming out of high school. I, I thought he really had a chance to progress and and really emerge. And I and I can't really say he didn't get the opportunity. I'm talking about Shane Bichelle, um, the SMU quarterback now. Um, but he is a senior, six foot one, two hundred and five pounds. Last year he passed for three thousand nine hundred and twenty nine yards, good for sixty two point seven completion percentage. 34 touchdowns, again, to just 10 interceptions. He rushed for 105 yards and two touchdowns. And, you know, right off the bat, the things that come to mind when I thought of Shane Bichelle, not only from his high school film, um, but also for him from his time at Texas, you know, I really loved his ability to put touch on the football, his ability to adjust the football and match the trajectory of his players, his wide receivers. I thought he showed good sensitivity to the way coverage distributions occurred. He was the type of player that I just saw the, the potentially, I mean, forgive me for saying this, but like the emergence of the Baker Mayfields and the Russell Wilsons and all of those players that that's where I thought Shane Bichelle was going to go. And it really just quite hasn't clicked yet. Tell take us through Shane Bichelle. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the things that you saw are still there. Like, you watch him on his SMU tape, and you see some touch. You see some anticipatory throws. You see some mobility inside the pocket and mental processing for this the scheme he's asked to run. But, I mean, I would have liked to see him have this success at Texas. I would have liked to see him have this success yes. at, in the Power Five because – Things that I think he, you don't see much from him in the scheme he's running right now is you don't see tight window throws. You don't see many NFL throws. You see the level of competition be significantly less than what it would have been at Texas. He doesn't have ideal size and frame, even though we know now that's not as much of a necessity at the NFL level with the, you know, the success of smaller quarterbacks. You know, I don't see, unlike even a guy like Ian Book who can play off structure, I feel like Bichelle is very much, even though he's a smaller guy, so people look at him a little differently, he's very much a pocket, a traditional pocket quarterback. You know, to me, his mechanics are a little bit inconsistent at times. You know, his arm talent is about average. So again, I think he's another guy, air raid type offense, you know, is what basically SMU is running over there, you know, spread it out. I think that's what he would be serviceable out. But I think he's another third string type quarterback, late day three UDFA guy would, you know, would have to claw and fight his way to maybe develop into a backup quarterback. Yeah, and I think there's going to be room for guys like Shane Bichelle. I mean, in other words, like I, I'm not entirely sold on the idea that some of these third string guys, these late round quarterback picks, I don't, I don't know if the, I don't know if the book is closed on them anymore. That once upon a time it was like you know a death sentence if you were chosen outside the top three rounds as a quarterback, right? But now I feel as more and more today that there might be an opportunity um, for these guys to stick around, to hang around. So, I mean, there's a, there, who knows, who knows with some of these guys, I'm still burning a candle, although it has dimmed for Shane Bichelle. So Shane, if you're listening to this, I'm with you, brother. 
let's <laughs> move on to let's move on to a player who certainly has seen some big time competition at Penn State. The junior red shirt, six foot two, two hundred sixteen pounds. Sean Clifford. Last year he had two thousand six hundred fifty four yards, good for a fifty nine point two completion percentage. 23 touchdowns to just seven interceptions. He rushed for 402 yards and five touchdowns as well. You know, Sean Clifford, again, you know, the things that had jumped out to me again is this idea of being able to alter the trajectory of the throw. He could throw from different slots. He has the opportunity to make things happen, but does that mean he's going to translate Paul into a next level pro quarterback? What were your thoughts? Is he going to immediately step on the field or like these other quarterbacks? Is it going to be a bit of an uphill climb? Yeah, I definitely think he's got a little bit of an uphill climb, but I would say of the guys we've talked about, I do think he has the highest ceiling. You know, so if this is a guy who I think could, you know, if there was a season at some point played or if he has to wait till next year, he's a guy who could improve his stock that maybe he can go on early day three. You know, he could be a backup quarterback, maybe with the upside to develop into a spot starter. He's got some intrigueness about his game. Uh, I like the arm talent. I like the athleticism and mobility inside the pocket. I see his willingness to push the ball vertically down the field into tight windows. I really like to see that, you know, from my collegiate quarterbacks because we know at the NFL level those windows will be tight. He's got a lot of development still to do in terms of overall accuracy, ball placement. You don't see a lot of anticipatory or timing throws, going through progressions, reading coverages. There's a lot. There's a lot in on that component and aspect that you need to see in improvement from but there there's a baseline there that 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 is somewhat intriguing that i think you put him in a pro style or spread offense with a lot of vertical based passing concepts and then kick in some rpos because he does have that athleticism that i i do think he's got more upside than the guys we've talked about so far tonight you know i'm gonna tell you something talking about upside this is a player just immediately resonates for me not only from his high school tape but also from what I thought he could have been in college. And I'm talking about the next player that we're going to talk about, which is KJ Costello. The Mississippi State senior is six foot five, 222 pounds. And last year, although he did have an injury ridden season, again, in five games he had missing, he passed though for a thousand yards, approximately 61.1. Uh, completion percentage, six touchdowns to just three interceptions. So, I mean, it was a, again, a, a little bit of a, uh, injury ridden season for sure for him, but you gotta like KJ Costello in terms of, again, that, that size in that frame. I know people are gravitating towards that in the NFL because of, and again, if you listen to the summer seminar series, you know, Will Hewlett talked about it often, you know, the ability to see over the offensive line, uh, for a quarterback may or may not be something that we should be hanging our hats on in terms of the size. The size may or may not affect, you know, whether we can see passing lanes or not. So, I mean, the size in the frame really in some ways just speaks to maybe potential durability, the rare, the wear and tear of the position. That could be something that's interesting. But back to KJ Costello, I mean, specifically, he was a player that I remember watching high school film and he had an uncanny ability, I thought, to put the ball in a place for the receiver that really compensated nicely for the defender. He had a good awareness of how the receiver ability as versus coverages were being kind of handled and adapted to. So he had that ability to place the ball in a good spot for his receiver 
to make some plays. I don't know, Paul, if that resonates with anything that you saw from KJ, but take us a little bit through a thumbnail sketch of KJ Costello. Yeah, I was really excited about Costello last season. Like before the season started, I thought he could have emerged last year to be a day two quarterback and obviously battled the injury, now transferring. I'm excited to see him at Mississippi State in this new offense. I think he could really, if it happens and we see this materialize i think he you know could be really successful in it i like like you said you mentioned the size and the frame i like the arm talent you know a lot of times you see these bigger stronger armed quarterbacks they don't throw it a lot of touch and anticipation i thought costello's always shown that so his ability to throw you know with good touch and anticipation he can push the ball vertically down the field willing to to put it in the tight windows you know even even things that i think are functional right now i think his accuracy and ball placement are functional i I think his decision making is average you know he's got enough athleticism and mobility to move around the pocket he's got some things he's got to work on footwork release mechanics going through progressions you know and stuff like that but I'm intrigued by him. This is, again, going on a little bit of a trajectory of the guys we've talked about so far. I'm highest on him. I think he's a backup quarterback, but the talent to potentially develop into a starting quarterback. I could see him getting drafted after a successful year when or if it happens at Mississippi State on day two of the NFL draft, just like I did, just like I thought last summer when I watched him uh, before his shortened injury season last year. Everything you said about KJ Costello is exactly where my heart began to flutter. So I'm excited for him as well. And the next player I'm going to tell you, I know he's, he's very polarizing. I feel, I think there are some players, some people out there that may think it's not a player we should be focusing on. And I think as the game changes in the NFL, I think Sam Ellinger has more of an opportunity than others may think in terms of potentially contributing. And the reason is, is because I think that his world that was Texas, you know, you know, Paul, I, I think of Tim Tebow, right? Tim Tebow and what team Tim, Tim, Tim Tebow did at Florida. And I think of Sam Ellinger in some ways only being that advanced version of it. What we wanted Tebow to be, I kind of feel like, Ellinger is that better version of him. The passer, the toughness can run with the football. He's a good old fashioned football player in, in many ways. So Sam Ellinger last year as a senior, well, he is a senior this year. He's six foot three, 230 pounds. And last year he had 3,663 yards. Good for a 65.2 completion percentage, 32 touchdowns to just 10 interceptions. He rushed for 663 yards and seven touchdowns. Paul, I kind of gave it to you that I, I feel like Vince Lombardi would like this guy at quarterback. I feel like he would do a lot of things with him. <laughs> um, tell us about Sam Ellinger. Is there a reason to believe that the, that the current NFL passing game may hold opportunity for him? Yeah, because I, I, I think the, the landscape of the NFL is changing a little bit in terms of they're looking for playmakers. They're looking for guys that can, they're not looking for the prototypical, what once upon a time type of quarterback looked like. And that bodes well for a Sam Ellinger. You did, you mentioned Tim Tebow and, and we said this last year, his body type, the way he plays. There's a lot of Tebow qualities to Sam Ellinger, but I also did this year though. He showed some improvement in terms of his accuracy, in terms of his ball placement. So I, I'm a little bit intrigued by Ellinger that if he continues to show that growth and development, that he could be a guy that maybe has a shot at the next level. We, we talked about the size and frame. I 
like the athleticism, you know, the play strength, the toughness, the physicality, the red zone running ability are all great. The leadership. Yeah, he's still got some vertical accuracy issues. I'd like to see a little bit more consistency there. He's got a, unlike Costello, who very good at uh, throwing with touch and anticipation. I think that's an area where Ellinger still has to improve his overall pocket presence, you know, mental processing, the going through progression, some of the, some of those aspects of the quarterback game that would have been a dead sentence years ago. I think, you know, if he can get them to a functional level and show some development in them, that, that'll be okay because he does enough in terms of his legs and his playmaking ability that I think he would have a chance. Again, air raid spread, up-tempo type offense, zone read concepts, RPO concepts. You know, I have him as a day three draft projection right now, but a guy that would, if or when, again, I keep saying it, but if and when there was a season, I think could improve his stock and potentially push into the top 100 and a team would fall in love with him. But I, I think right now he'd be more of that day three, round four, round five type quarterback. No, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think right now I, I agree with where he is right now. I, I'm again, he's a guy that I'm I'm pretty high on. I not because I think that he is going to take the world by storm, but he's a player who's getting better every year, and you want to see a player get better every year because as they're getting better every year, that's telling you that they're beginning to see the game more clearly. They're beginning to learn to learn the position a little bit more clearly and all those things matter. And I think that there's a player that I hope, I think everybody in listening to the show knows they would want to see another, another season from this player because it might be Paul, a coronation. If this player were to have another season underneath center, it might be a coronation, a changing of the guards. If that could even occur in our state of college football. I mean, right now it is King Trevor Lawrence and everybody else, but this is a player that right out of high school, he had the same fanfare, and he's a player that I know on this show we've been talking about for a while as the guy who could challenge the number one, and that's Mr. Justin Fields of Ohio State. The junior is six foot three, 228 pounds, and last season he had passed for 3,273 yards, good for a 67.2 completion percentage, 41 touchdowns to just three interceptions he rushed for 484 yards and 10 touchdowns Paul I mean I could wax pros about Justin Fields we've have waxed pros about him I know that my thoughts on him are very very well established on the show I think he is I think he is right now he is not the best quarterback in college football but I think he could end up being the best quarterback of him and Trevor Lawrence. I think it could be Justin Fields. I do believe in his game that much. And um, I, am I am I crazy? No, I, I don't think you're crazy. I think we saw we talked about this before he even got to Ohio State that Georgia was going to rue the day that they let him get out of the building, and for good reason. And we saw it last year with Ohio State. I mean. He's the total package, the frame, the arm talent, the athleticism, the mobility, the pocket movement, throwing on the run, playing off structure, his playmaking ability, his decision-making, the ability to, to run effectively RPO concepts, quick release and delivery. He can push the ball vertically down the field. He throws with touch, you know, and he's poised in the pocket, good play strength. I mean, on and on. Yeah, listen, 
is there things he needs to work on? For sure. He needs more experience. He needs more game reps. He's only done it for one year. He's got to show that he can go through progressions because often at Ohio State, the first read was open, or he could quickly go to his second read. He's got to show that he can get to the third or fourth read. Uh, the scheme in the sporting cast created a lot of, you know, open receivers, you know, and then a lot of big play after the, you know, big playability after the catch. He's got to do a little bit better job with blitz recognition, but that's a lot of that stuff is just reps and experience. He does so much well as a strength or average slash functional already. It's, it's staggering. You know, I think he is on the fast track to be a top three pick in the NFL draft. I think potentially we have quarterbacks go one, two, and three next year. I do like Trevor Lawrence a little bit more right now than, than, than Fields, but I think, you know, I don't, that's not a knock on Fields. It's just the love affection for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he's the total package. We've talked about him a lot. I can go on and on into my new details and, and at a future date, I'm sure I will. Uh, but I don't think there's much more to say about Fields and how special of a prospect he is. No, and I, and I think that the one thing that you brought up that I think I really want to highlight is he got better, got better each game. I'm sorry to whisper, but it's true. It's true. He got better in each and every game, which is exactly what you want to see. You want to see that development, that sensitivity to new and different things. He was able to do that last season. And let's just talk about it for what it is. At the end of the season, he was hurt. He was hurt last year. He was hurt at the end of the season with a brace on his leg. You did not see him at the end of the season full strength. I'm telling you, I believe that Justin Fields at full strength is a tremendous transcendent talent at the position. But I got to agree with Paul. Right now, if I were being a responsible GM, it's hard not to take Trevor Lawrence. It really is. You need to see that. You need to see those reps. So moving on right along to the next player in our kind of discussion of the quarterback group, I think we have a very exciting player, very, again, another polarizing player where you're going to get probably a lot of different takes on this player. I'm talking about Derek King, number four of Miami, the senior, the redshirt senior is 5'11", 195 pounds. Um, although last year again was an injury ridden season in a full season of 2018, he had 2,982 yards, good for a 63.5 completion percentage, 36 touchdowns to six interceptions. He rushed for 674 yards and 14 touchdowns. Paul Derek King is just, I mean, he is a monster, a absolutely dynamic entity at the quarterback position. Give us a little bit of love for Mr. King. Now, the interesting thing about King is I do think he could be a quarterback at the next level, but if he's not, he's the second coming of Cordell Stewart. He's slash 2.0. This guy can run it. He can catch it. He can throw it. You know, so I'm a... I'm excited to see if the, if it plays out where we get to see him for Miami as a quarterback, because I do think, again, we've seen the size and frame not be an issue. We've seen Kyler Murray. We've seen Baker Mayfield. We've seen Russell Wilson. We've seen smaller guys now make it at the NFL level. I think King shows good touch and anticipation on his throws. I love his ability to move around the pocket 
outside the pocket, throw on the run, make plays as a playmaker when the play breaks down. I love the overall athleticism. I think his arm talent is more than functional to make NFL throws. I like his overall accuracy to me. He's got good pocket awareness, but we got to see some poison decision-making better under pressure. Obviously we got to, you know, see if the size and frame are an issue. He's got to show some more durability only four games last year due to an injury. Uh, and he's got to clean up his footwork a little bit, but there's a lot, there's a lot of raw talent with King that it's going to be interesting to kind of see what the NFL thinks of him. Do they pigeonhole him for a position change? Like they kind of were saying about Jalen hurts before this past year, who then worked his way into a top 50 pick, you know? So, you know, I think, I think there's so many ways this can still kind of unfold. I have him as a day three pick. But if, if there's ever a season and he performs well this year, it could be stock up because teams are looking for those difference makers, those playmakers, and that's what Derrick King is. Well, talking about playmakers and talking about being pigeonholed or miscasted for, let's say, their environment or scheme that they play in, Trey Lance has been something that has been absolutely a player on a meteoric rise, but some have reservations about his overall kind of where he played his exposure. I mean, he's a North Dakota player, sophomore, red shirt. He's 6'3", 221 pounds. And last year he had 2,786 passing yards, good for a 66.9 completion percentage, 28 touchdowns and no interceptions. He rushed for 1,100 yards and 14 touchdowns. Trey Lance, many are going to say potentially, is he that good? I mean, look at where he played. Um, can he do more? What, what? I mean, do we need to see more? Is this year would have been really important? Paul, what do you say about Trey Lance? Is this guy a franchise quarterback? Yeah, I think he is. And, you know, I know I've seen a lot of people that we really, really respect their opinions from Dan Brugler to Daniel Jeremiah and other people that they think this kid is right there on the level of Lawrence and Fields. I don't, I haven't seen anybody have him ranked ahead of Lawrence, but I have seen multiple people who I know we respect their evaluation and their, you know, what they do tremendously have him ahead of Justin Fields. I think we're talking about three quarterbacks potentially going one, two, and three in the draft, whether it's picks of the teams there, whether it's trades. I think he's right up there at what he does because similar to Justin Fields, besides the level of competition and the, you know, and the experience, you know, the experience is something we said for Fields besides the level of competition, they're very comparable in what they do well. They have the arm talent. They have the accuracy, the athleticism, the mobility, the rushing ability, the decision makings, the ability to throw a touch, willing to push it vertically down the field, playmaking ability to make things happen when the play breaks down, throwing on the run, the release, you know, decision making, pocket presence. I mean, I know Trey Lance did it at a smaller level school, North Dakota, but we've seen Carson Wentz come from there. North Dakota is basically. You know, we're basically talking about they're like the Alabama, basically, of their division, you know, in their conference. This kid really is the full package. I mean, I think he's going to be in the mix. I think he goes top five. I think a team's going to draft him to be a franchise quarterback. 
you know, whether or not, you know, he plays immediately, there might be a little bit of a learning experience and, and, and development needed, you know, in terms of the big jump in competition. But I think, I do think it's a three horse race at the top with all three quarterbacks being pretty close together. Uh, that's how highly I thought of Trey Lance. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, 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 again, I have not watched Trey Lance yet. Um, he is on my obviously to do list, like all these players are for this upcoming fall. So I will get to my specific thoughts on him as we kind of get into the fall. But I listen, I think that the time is gone where we start pigeonholing players for, you know, superficial traits, size, weight, things like that. I think gone now is the mentality also of necessarily destroying a player for their level of competition. I think we have to look at the exposures and we have to take a more critical eye and say, you know, what was it? What were the challenges, obstacles, or problems on the field that the player had to solve? And to what degree did they meet those challenges in a very kind of functional or skillful way? That's the whole essence of the problem solver paradigm that we talk about on this show. It's not how you did it. It's not what you did actually physically doing it. It's how you solve the problem, how you move through it. Did you do it quickly, rationally, and resourcefully? Did you show the ability to adjust? I'm excited to watch Trey Lance, Paul, but I'm going to tell you right now, everything that I just said really resonates with the player that I don't think, I don't think Trey Lance is going to surpass him. In fact, I'm not even sure that in some eyes, I don't even think Justin Fields may surpass him in some people's eyes, but that's, the I don't know how to describe him other than he cometh on the white horse of the gallant knighthood that is Mr. Trevor Lawrence, of course, the prince of college football at the position. I I think uh, he's the player that everybody is just kind of clamoring for in this year's draft. I mean, the Clemson product, he's going to be a junior. He's six foot six, 220 pounds. Last year, he passed for 3,665 yards, good for 65.8% completion percentage, 36 touchdowns to just eight interceptions. He rushed, and this is what I think is so important about Trevor. People don't understand how good he is, how fast he is on his feet. You're talking about a really dynamic runner. He's had 563 rushing yards, good for nine touchdowns. Again, I believe in Justin Fields in the long run, but I think Trevor Lawrence will and has always been right there. I think that these two players are going to join the NFL ranks along with potentially Trey Lance, as I understand, and potentially add that youth element to the NFL as the quarterbacks, the changing of the guards, the Tom Brady's, the Drew Breeses, as they pass the torches to the now Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson's, and the soon-to-be Trevor Lawrence's, Justin Fields, maybe Trey Lance, the Tua's, the Joe Burrows, the quarterback position is emerging and evolving in the NFL in an exciting way. Paul, is he really that good as we talk about him right now? Yeah, I mean, we served from his freshman year. We served from as soon as he took the job from Kelly Bryant. I mean, even last year, I remember people knocking him because he had a he had some bumps along the way. Like he was never going to have any bumps, you know, and any obstacles in his entire collegiate career. I, I think the NFL is probably glad he did. It would be weird. You want to see him overcome some adversity. And if or when there is a college football season, he, you know he's pissed off that they lost to Joe Burrow in the national championship game. That fuels his fire. 
you know, he's been at the forefront of saying he wants to play right now, you know, whatever that's going on in our country, because I think he has that kind of passion and desire that he wants to overcome that loss last year and redeem himself and walk out of there, you know, with two national championships before he heads to the NFL. We said it with the other guys, his, First off, his athleticism is so underrated that he might even be a better natural runner and athletic athletic wise than even Justin Fields. You know, like it, it really, he really does have tremendous. When he starts running, like he just ch- picks up chunks of yards, and it's you're blown away by the speed that he has in terms of his rushing ability. So I think that goes very much underrated. He's got the arm talent. He's got the accuracy, the athleticism, the pocket movement, the mechanics, the release are like picturesque, perfect, uh, throwing on the run, playing off structure, decision-making. He can tight window NFL throws, touch, anticipation. You name it, he can do it. If, if you want to hear me talk about some things that you know he can improve upon, I thought he was a little over-aggressive at times, had a, you know, he dialed that back in a little bit as the year went on. That's why you saw some interception games early in the season. I thought he was being a little too over aggressive, uh, but he he started to curtail that in and and be a little bit smarter as the year progressed. Uh, obviously, he's always playing with a bounty full of skilled players uh, at his at his disposal that can go up and make you know really spectacular catches. Sometimes some inconsistent ball placement and footwork when he's thrown on the move or facing pressure, but. Those are things that they're not even obstacles. He shows that he can do it. You know, they're just at times he has some instances, you know, if I'm trying to nitpick and talk about some developmental areas or concerns that I saw on film, there really isn't any. I think he should be the number one pick. I think he's a franchise quarterback. I think the NFL landscape is going to look at him as the the best quarterback prospect to come out since Andrew Luck uh, in terms of checking every single box. I think he does. Yeah, I, I I don't know how NFL teams aren't excited for this QB class. I mean, I really don't. I think absolutely Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, to me, are two bona fide franchise quarterbacks. You build around them. They are your franchise. And I think they are tremendous, tremendous prospects. Trey Lance, I, again, I have to see him for my own eyes. But all reports considered, he's also one of them. Paul, we're coming into the kind of 45-minute mark here, and I know we talked about kind of a thumbnail sketch of these players, and we said that we're going to be exploring this positional group even more throughout the season. Give me an idea of some players that at the quarterback position that we haven't talked about tonight that really kind of stick with you, that you really encourage people to check out as we move forward into this season. Yeah, I mean, there's a handful of other guys that I watch in depth. So why don't we do this? Why don't I do, I'll do a little rapid fire, rattle off a co- my thoughts on a couple players. If you have any questions, you can fire back at me and then I'll do a couple more guys and, and, and we'll touch upon them now. And like we said, we'll come back and we're going to be hitting on these guys a lot more. Uh, I think we'll probably do a second quarterback show that we just kind of, you know, maybe I kind of talk you through my tiers and and my rankings a little bit inside those tiers just to give you my initial thoughts, you know, before obviously if we have a lot more time to watch guys, more film becomes available, more to rank and, you know, more to watch. It could, uh, you know, move things around a little bit. But a couple other guys, you know, again, I'll do these in groups. Uh, the next guy, if we just continue in alphabetical order, was Mackenzie Milton. If he gets on the field from, you know, he missed all of last year due to an injury. Last we saw him at UCF, you know, 
25 touchdowns, six interceptions. You know, I think he's another guy you could almost put him in the Jake Bentley, Ian Book, Shane Bichelle category. Uh, if he was completely healthy, I think we're talking about a guy who a West Coast timing base offense, third string practice squad type quarterback with the upside to develop into a backup quarterback. I think we're talking late day three UDFA type player, uh, you know, size, frame, durability, health concerns. Those are all, you know, NFL throws, tight window throws. I think those are the things that are concerning about him. I like his ability to play off structure, extend the play, his overall athleticism, pre-injury, his mobility and poise. So there were some things I liked about him. But again, very much, I think, similar to the guys we talked about at the top of these quarterbacks. Now, Paul, wait, I got to stop you because we're getting out of Mackenzie Milton. And I'm going to tell you right now, just because I I have to say this, I'm very excited for the next guy you're going to talk about. You got it. I'm... Right? right? I mean, he was a phenomenal – he was a great prospect coming out of high school, but he didn't really put it together the first couple of years. Yeah, like, Kellen – is he taking hot? Kellen yeah. Mond of Texas A&M, you know, senior year, he definitely showed some growth and improvement last year. 61.6 completion percentage, almost 3,000 yards, 20 touchdowns, you know, nine interceptions, 500 yards rushing. I love his ability to throw on the run. He might be the best at throwing on the run of any of these quarterbacks. I think he throws on the run better – than when he's in a clean pocket. His his ability to play off structure when the play breaks down, his athleticism, his arm talent is good, his toughness, but he's still got some things that he's got to work on. His overall decision-making, his inconsistent accuracy and ball placement, touch and anticipation, he's got to show that he can improve that, reading coverages, going through progressions. He showed development. I still think he's got a lot more to go before I think he has a shot to be a day two quarterback. I still think he's a day three quarterback with upside, develop into a spot starter, be a good backup, but he's got to show more growth in in terms of his decision-making, reading coverages and accuracy. Uh, But, you know, you put him in a spread pistol type offense, up tempo, let him use his rushing ability on zone reads and RPO concepts. He's another guy that could be, an effective player in terms of playmaking ability. You know, and everything you just said about Kelamon, I completely agree with. And just to point out something, there's a lot of times we've been saying RPO type style offenses. That is definitely something that is here to stay in an NFL type of scheme. So, I mean, RPOs are not easy to run guys. And I think that the players that do it very well, which I think Kelamon does do that. Well, um, I think is going to be a weapon at the next level. Again, as that quarterback position evolves even more, Paul, what about Tanner Morgan from Minnesota? I know last year he had 3,253 yards. Good for a 66.6 completion percentage, 30 touchdowns to seven interceptions. He's 6'2, 215 pounds. Tell us a little bit about Mr. Morgan. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's another day three type quarterback. Some like him a little bit more than me. I think he's a backup quarterback who could be a spot starter. I had some Jake Fromm vibes. So, you know, I know we were fans of Jake Fromm. So I think if you get a chance to watch Tanner Morgan, you're going to like what you see. I don't know if that's going to translate to high-level NFL. You know, I kind of think he could go a couple different ways. I think he's very much a West Coast timing-based type quarterback Uh his accuracy, I think, is very good in the short to intermediate range. I think he's got tremendous poise under pressure. So I like his overall pocket presence, his footwork, his mechanics. Uh, you know, but I think he, I think he's, he's kind of, 
He's not going to do a lot with his legs in terms of making plays. He's not a playmaker. I don't. I didn't see a lot of tight window throws because his receivers were so great at creating separation. You know, with Bateman and uh, Tyler Johnson, that he just didn't have to show that he could really thread the needle. He never really played under center. Not as much of an issue as as it used to be. Uh, but I thought he was solid at things. I didn't see a clear calling card of his. That, uh, that makes me really stand out. So I think he's a day free guy, but I think he's got some upside and uh, very similar. But we saw where Jake Fromm went. I think Jake Fromm's a better prospect. And just put that into perspective, Jake Fromm, I think, fell all the way to the fifth round. So I think that's what we're kind of looking at here with Tanner Morgan. I think a really good college quarterback, not sure if the NFL is going to look at him uh, that much higher than, than Jake Fromm. Well, I think the next quarterback that's on our list here, I think, is a player that is really – flying under the radar uh, because obviously uh, this would be his opportunity to kind of take the helm. And I'm talking about the Georgia quarterback. He's a senior red shirt, six foot four, 230 pounds. He had quite the season at wake forest in 2019 passing for 2,868 yards. Good for a 60.9 completion percentage, 26 TDs to just 11 interceptions rushed for 574 yards and six touchdowns. We're talking about Jamie Newman, a player that, I think is better than, you know, anybody can expect. And I think coming out of Wake Forest, I was excited to see him at Georgia. Yes. The next three guys, Jamie Newman, Brock Purdy, and Desmond Ritter are guys that I I am fans of these three players. I think these guys have top 50 pick potential. So that kind of just tells you where I am. We have those big three at the top that we talked about already, but I think Newman Purdy and Ritter are the guys that intrigue me the most and could see their, their, their NFL drafts uh, projection skyrocket if, or when we ever have another college football season uh, and these guys get a chance to perform. I love Jamie Newman in terms of his size and his frame, his athleticism, his rushing, his play strength, his toughness. He can play off structure, throw on the move. Is he another big guy who can throw with some touch and anticipation, kind of like we talked about earlier uh, with Costello. He makes NFL throws. He was, I think PFF rated him the number one vertical ball placement or near the top in terms of vertical ball placement. So he's very good in terms of his vertical accuracy and, and, and ball placement vertically down the field. He's got to show some growth and improvement in the progressions and reading coverages, handling pressure. The love to step up in competition would have been very intriguing. But I got to be honest with you, there's some Cam Newton type vibes in terms of, of his style of play at Wake Forest. Now, I don't know if that was going to translate to the SEC. We saw Cam Newton in college dude in Auburn and be the best player in college football that year. So I'm not saying he's that level, but you watch him play and you watch, you watch Jamie Newman run near the goal line. You're going to get Cam Newton vibes. You watch him throw and, and aspects of his game. You're going to get some Cam Newton vibes to him. But again, we'll see at Georgia, the, everything ratcheted up if it happens, if he can rise up. So I think he's a day two player right now. We'll see uh, if he can show more growth to be a starter, to be a first round pick. That's to be determined. What about Brock Purdy? Because the Iowa State product last year had a great season as well. I mean, he had passed for 3,982 yards. Again, good for 65.7 completion percentage, 27 passing DDs, just nine interceptions, and he rushed for 249 yards and eight touchdowns. Brock Purdy is definitely a player that 
I think was really flying below the radar. I mean, a player that really didn't get any fanfare as much as hopefully now he will. What did you think of Mr. Purdy? Yeah, I, I'm a fan of Purdy because he, he's a gunslinger. He's got some Baker yes. Mayfield, you know, he's got some Baker Mayfield, Johnny Manziel in him. That and moxie, and, right? Like yes, that moxie. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I like about him. He, he He's not a big-time rusher, but he's got really good athleticism. I like his athleticism, his mobility, his his his, his escapability in the pocket and move around the pocket. Uh, he always keeps his eyes downfield looking for that big play, even when the play breaks down he can throw on the run he can play off structure i like the accuracy between the hash marks a lot his accuracy wanes when you spread it out a little bit more almost like lamar jackson a couple years ago but in between the hash marks you really saw good accuracy with him his ability to handle pressure i thought was really really good one of the best i saw in the country uh he's got some issues ball security is one uh his vertical accuracy and ball placement a little bit inconsistent when you get outside the numbers or vertically down the field at times he tries to do too much that over aggressive nature that i think you know we saw with johnny manzel way back when but i like a lot of aspects of purdy's game i think he has the upside to develop into a starter in the right scheme i think a, i think a spread west coast timing based you know with the inclusion of some rpos and get it and move in the launch point I think would be effective for a guy like Purdy. I think right now he's a day two type prospect, but he's got an arrow that could even push him higher. Yeah. And you know what, Paul? I mean, this was something that going back to the summer seminar series and the discussion with Will Hewlett, we talked about how like at once upon a time, I mean, being under center and being taller was advantageous. But now that we play mostly in the gun and that continues to be the trend in the NFL, getting into that shotgun formation, it's been now evening the playing field. And these guys that are, even though they're not six foot five, six foot one, 210 pounds, I mean, that's right around where Tua Tangavailoa is. And we know how good of a passer he is. Um, I, I don't think this is going to be any, you know, in, you know, any constraint on him. I think people are going to see him for what he is. I love Purdy. Um, and I think there's an opportunity for him to continue to develop. I think he tried to put the whole entire offense at times on his shoulders, but I would say the same thing is true for this player as well. Mr. Desmond Ritter, uh, out of Cincinnati, the junior red shirt, he had a six foot four. He's 215 pounds. And last year he passed for 2,164 yards. Good for a 55.1% completion percentage, eight passing touchdowns to just nine interceptions. And he rushed for 650 yards and five touchdowns. Give us the skinny on Mr. Ritter, please. If somebody watches Desmond Ritter, and I, I, I don't even want to bring him up because he, he's so controversial, if, even though he shouldn't be. But if, Someone watches Desmond Ritter and doesn't think of Colin Kaepernick. I'm not sure they ever watched Colin Kaepernick play when he was at college and then his time with the 49ers. There are so many similarities between Colin Kaepernick and Desmond Ritter in terms of the collegiately and this stylistically how they play. I was blown away by it. There's a lot to like of Desmond Ritter, his size, his arm talent, his athleticism, his rushing ability, his mobility, quick release from multiple different arm angles and platforms, throwing on the run, playing off structure, his ability to make things happen with his legs and really pick up chunk yards. We talked about Trevor Lawrence picking up those chunk yards so long and lengthy. Desmond Ritter very much like that as well. Very similar to when Colin Kaepernick used to take off and running. Similar to, you know, 
Newman and, and Purdy, you know, he, Raiders got to show the ability to work through progressions more. Hasn't been asked to do that much. There's, there's more in, inconsistency in terms of accuracy and ball placement with Ritter than Newman or Purdy, which is why I like Purdy and Newman a little bit more than Ritter. Uh, he's got to show that a little bit more pocket presence and show that he can throw with some anticipatory throws. He's got to improve that. But you put him in an air raid spread type offense, the RPOs, the zone reads, all that stuff, he can be a playmaker. And we keep coming back on this. The old school quarterbacking is gone. It, it's gone. It's why Jalen Hurts was the second round pick. You know, people are looking for, they're not looking for, for the old day. They're looking for players that solve problems, move the chains and score points. I think Ritter is going to be a guy that very much intrigues NFL teams. Well, you know, and I and I love that you said a playmaker. And, and what does that really mean at the quarterback position? The ability to distribute the football. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be the one to make the pass that scores the touchdown. I think we're living in an NFL now where we're seeing more of that Bill Walsh-style philosophy, more of that um, air raid-style philosophy matched and meshed with the West Coast offense-style philosophy of pass it short, run it long. Let playmakers be playmakers. You're drafting all these players across the board. Let's use them as their most dynamic position, and you need a running back, excuse me, you need a quarterback that's able to do that, able to distribute the football. And I think you need that shortstop style kind of player in the backfield that can lead the team down the field, stay calm, make good decisions, and get the ball out quickly and accurately to his receivers. But let those receivers do the work. You don't need to necessarily be chucking it down the field at all costs. It's great if you can threaten deep, but I think we're we're looking about we're looking for those playmakers, those ability to distribute the football to other playmakers on the team. I think that's what we're looking for as we move forward. So that was a great point. And as we kind of hand into the last two players, let's talk about Anthony Russo from Temple, redshirt senior, 6 foot 4, 230 pounds. Last year, he passed for 2861 yards, good for a 58.7 completion percentage, 21 touchdowns to just 12 interceptions. Paul, tell us a little bit about Mr. Russo. Yeah, I watched him last summer, and I thought I thought he was intriguing, but I wanted to see development last year in in certain areas, and I didn't see a lot of it. Which, similar to Jake Bentley, we kept waiting for that development. I thought Russo was going to take a step last year, and I when I watched his most recent film, it was exactly what I saw last year. So he kind of, I think, is who he is. He's got the size and frame that. The, the, the old experts, the old draft people in the NFL world, you know, would look for. He's got good arm talent. He can make NFL throws. He, he can throw with some good touch and shows good toughness and play strength. But inconsistent accuracy at all three levels of the field did not show improvement in that last season, which was a little disappointing. His turnovers, the amount of turnovers is, is another thing. He has to protect the football better. He has to do better uh, decision-making. His overall poise under pressure, his mental processing are areas he has to work on. I think he's got some natural physical tools to maybe develop into a backup, but I think he's probably a third-string practice-style quarterback to start, late the, late for a UDFA-type player. Uh was kind of hoping for more when I watched him last summer and then – you know, watched him this summer, didn't see a lot of growth in his game to think that he's going to be a guy that pushes, you know, into the second day of the NFL draft or be a guy that the NFL is going to be that high on unless he really shows some more growth and improvement. 
So as we finish this off, though, we're talking about Kyle Trask at the last player, last but not least, for sure, out of Florida, this redshirt senior. He's six foot four, two 234 pounds, and last year, again, he passed for 2,941 yards, good for a 66.9% complaint. Percent completion percentage, 25 touchdowns, just seven interceptions. Paul, take us home and tell us a little bit about Kyle Trask and what he offers NFL franchises at the next level. Yeah, I think Trask is a guy that other people are, high, are a little bit higher on right now than me. I think maybe where I'm more excited about guys like Newman and Purdy and Ritter, other people might have Trask in there. Uh, I still need to see more. He's He's got good size and frame. He's got Arm talent is is good. His play strength and toughness I like. I like his mental processing, his ability to go through progressions. Uh, I like that stuff. But to me, he still got, he still needs more reps, more experience. His ball placement, I think, and accuracy are very inconsistent. Even though he had that 66.9 completion percentage, I think it's a little bit misleading. I think his overall ball placement and accuracy is inconsistent. He doesn't have a lot of athleticism. He's not going to be a guy that does much with his legs or move around the pocket. Uh, I didn't see a lot of NFL and tight window throws uh, or throwing on the run and throwing on the move and playing off structure. I think those are the things that NFL teams are really craving right now. Going back to what you just said, solving problems, being a playmaker. I don't really see Kyle Trask as that. Now, maybe, you know, another year he would show some more growth and development in some of those areas that I'd feel a little bit better. But I think he's a backup quarterback type player, maybe a spot starter. I think day three probably of, of the NFL draft. I, like I said, I'm higher on the guys we talked about before. Newman, Purdy, Ritter. I would say I'm probably higher on guys like Ellinger, Intrigue Me, Derek King. Uh, so I'm a little bit lower on Kyle Trask just because he doesn't have that playmaking ability that I think is becoming so prevalent to just solve the many different problems that NFL defenses throw at you. Yeah, and and I like that. I mean, I think that that has become our battle cry for the last two years now, and, and I think it really does shape and frame the talent and skill evaluation really nicely. And Paul, listen, I know we had aspirations for maybe potentially doing another show, and I'm sure we would welcome that. But again, I think maybe why don't we end the way that we kind of intended? Let's talk a little bit about where your tiers may sit right now, and let's really polish off the quarterback position. I mean, I feel like if you're listening to it at this point, um, I'm sure you you could feel the energy flowing. If you feel confident, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the tiers, and we can always revisit these as time goes on. How does that sound? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'd probably say that right now the top tier would be Lawrence Fields and, and Trey Lance. I think those are, I think those guys are franchise quarterbacks. I think they're they're. I think it, we're talking three of the top five picks in next year's NFL draft. I'd be surprised if they weren't. So that would be my tier one. Uh, my tier two probably consists of Jamie Newman, uh, Brock Purdy, Desmond Ritter, and KJ Costello in that order. To me, those are guys that have day two type talent and could either move into round one consideration or can fall back into, you know, day three, depending on if there's a season played, how that season performs. Uh, of that group, I think Newman, Purdy, and Ritter have the highest ceilings. But I think Costello in that new offense at Mississippi State really can shine. So I do think he deserves to be there too. So that would be my second tier. Uh, I think my third tier then would be made up of Dury King, uh, Sam Ellinger, uh, Kyle Trask, Tanner Morgan, Sean Clifford, and Kellen Mond. So I think it's a pretty big tier. And in that tier, I think uh, 
you know, I think that tier is made up of different style players. You have the playmakers like Dari King, you know, Kellen Mond, Sam Ellinger, a little bit of different style playmaker, but a playmaker. And then you have, uh, you know, some more traditional quarterbacks like Kyle Trask and Tanner Morgan. And then Sean Clifford's a little bit of a wild card because I think he has some of the aspects of the playmakers in terms of his rushing ability and athleticism. Uh, so I think he is a little bit more in that mold, but he also can push the ball vertically down the field, probably better uh, than those other quarterbacks, you know, like Mond, Ellinger, and King in that tier as well. And then my final tier, uh, I'd probably have Ian Book, Shane Bichelle, Jake Bentley, Anthony Russo, and Mackenzie Milton. Those are the guys that I think we're talking about late day three, some priority free agents, practice squad type guys, maybe develop into backups down the line. Uh, I probably like Book and Bichelle the most from that group. Uh, probably if I was really kind of classifying them. And guys, understand that these tiers that we just talked about are very different than our tiers that Matt and I do uh, after the season's over when we take into account draft projection and uh, fantasy projection and stuff like that. This is just kind of grouping them together in levels of talent right now after watching their film eval. Yeah, I think that's that's an important discussion. I mean, tiering the talent, so to speak, is something that we're going to be on, uh, you know, kind of potentially a season long endeavor to really get down. So this is where you feel right now. I'm excited to watch this position. I hope everybody out there is excited to watch. Paul, I'd be remiss if I didn't kind of round it out completely and say, is there anybody? I mean, I, I mean, at least, well, that's a silly question. I believe that the two quarterbacks that exist at the top of this and potentially three from everything that I'm hearing. But I feel like this is the time if you're a dynasty owner or a rookie draft owner in fantasy football, I think this is the time that you're moving heaven and earth to try to get these guys because these guys, I think, are transcendent talents at their position that will immediately come in, step in and be solid at the position. I, I don't think you I don't think you waste an opportunity to go get these guys. Am I, am I being silly? No, I think you should go get them. I think guys with their skill sets are somehow not valued appropriately in one quarterback leagues. And they all three of them have capabilities to impact the game rushing as well as passing. And I think that makes them high end fantasy upside quarterbacks when they get to the NFL level. Maybe it's not in year one, but year two, year three, I think you're going to see some of these guys be very impactful uh, in terms of fantasy football. So I'd go out and get those guys. I'd pay premium costs. Uh, and then the other guys, like I said, Newman, Ritter, and Purdy are the other guys that I think I'd be intrigued with getting on my roster, especially the the running capabilities and the red zone capabilities of Newman and the overall rushing ability of Ritter, I think are intriguing when you add that element and component into it of quarterbacks in those top two tiers. Obviously, we already talked about the re-king. His rushing upside might be better than anybody in this class, uh, but he's still got some more growth and development in terms of his passing before I think we can consider him as a future NFL uh, you know, quarterback that would be fantasy viable. Yeah, and I, and I think this the important thing that you just brought up there, at least the way I view the quarterback position, is I believe that these players at the top, specifically obviously Lawrence and Fields, 
I think these guys are going to age well in the NFL too. I think there's a lot of opportunity for them to, even when they lose potentially that athletic capability, I think that these players in particular are going to age well in terms of their passing acumen, their ability to, as we said before, their touch, their arm strength, all the things that go into it. I think these players are going to age well in the NFL. These are not guys that are reliant upon their rushing ability, but these are guys that allow that to um, embolden their movement toolbox in terms of solving problems. That's They are not just mobile quarterbacks, and I think that that is true uh, across the board. So for everybody out there, I mean, Paul, any final thoughts on this position or anything that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, listen, this was just 18 guys I watched. I have another 16 that uh, guys on a watch list that are going to be in the note that are going to be on the watch list tab of the notebook that a time, maybe at some point they get added to the notebook. Maybe at some point we're talking, we're definitely going to talk about them, but there's other guys that are very intriguing. Miles Brennan, potentially the replacement to Joe Burrow, you know, Mac Jones, the replacement to two at Alabama, Matt Carell out of Ole Miss, you know, Chase Bryce out of Duke, Hunter Johnson at, you know, Northwestern, Adrian Martinez from Alabama, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA and, and I could keep rattling off more names. Mikhail Cunningham out of Louisville. There are people that are fans of these guys. Dustin Crum out of Kent State. So there's a lot of other quarterbacks. We talked about 18 tonight. I have another 16 on my watch list. You know, we're going to talk about these guys a lot during you know, the months that normally would be college football season. If we don't have a college football season, we're going to go much more in depth on the guys we talked about tonight. We're going to talk about some more of these other guys on the watch list. You know, maybe there'll be guests brought on to have them share their initial takes on these guys, you know, as we wait for hopefully a season to take place at some point. Um, you know, so we, we pushed through, we got through everybody tonight. We did the tiers, we did the ranking. So there won't be a second quarterback preview show uh, but after we do the positional preview shows, we will circle back and talk a, a, about a lot of these prospects and these quarterbacks and not just the 18 we talked about tonight because there's a whole nother 16, like I just said, and I'm sure I could have went even longer on that watch list of guys that are really intriguing of who could really materialize this year and push their way above a bunch of the guys we talked about tonight. Yeah, I mean, the thing that excites me so much every time we do these shows and every time we begin to talk about these players is is really just looking at how far our perspectives on really what it means to be a, a an athlete or a, a, an, an actual um, performer in the NFL has changed. I mean, like we say all the time, draft problem solvers, right? Draft problem solvers. Don't draft them. Don't draft them based on the size and the, and the physical traits. Draft the problem solvers. Find those guys that can solve problems on the field. Find the players that can really make your team better. Hopefully, that's something we're going to begin that we continue to bring to the space that that will continue to grow and evolve. I'm excited to sit down and watch the quarterbacks. I'm excited to share those thoughts throughout the year. I hope, on behalf of myself, Paul, and everybody else here, I hope you guys enjoyed this show. Hope we gave you guys an opportunity to sit down and enjoy some football. We hope you and your families are staying safe and staying healthy as well throughout all the chaos in this world. Um, we're there with you, hopefully giving you a little bit of a reprieve here and there. So on behalf of myself, Paul, and David Nakano, our sound and tech engineer, please thank you for joining us, and please join us next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.